What they're going to want from us is the uh, the, the sound file. Ah. Let's talk a little bit for, for background on this thing, because I, I really want this to be rich, and I know you do too. Welcome to 1CA. This is Jack. Today we have... Greg Fontenot. I'm a retired Army colonel. I was commander of the 1st Brigade, 1st Army Division, 1995-97. Greg is guest hosting today. And Greg, who are you going to be talking to? Today uh, with uh, Brigadier General retired Pat O'Neill, uh, we're going to talk about civil affairs operations and um, operations generally in the early entry phase of uh, Operation Joint Endeavor. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the Global War on Terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. General O'Neill was the ADCS of the 1st Armored Division, as well as the commander for the handout part of the footprint of the 1st Armored Division, which included uh, the tactical headquarters, and that meant 1st Brigade, 1st Armored Division, and the Aviation Brigade. Without further ado, General O'Neill, would you uh, briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Greg. The background is I was assigned to the 1st Armored Division about uh, four months before we actually launched into Bosnia and Herzegovina as a result of the Dayton Accord. So this was a unique operation that actually, in the early stages, helped us validate our decades of training in such things as river crossing and operations, extended operations for heavy forces. So this was kind of in our wheelhouse, but it was extremely unique in that we were going in in the dead of winter and, as it turned out, ran into a 100-year flood. Most of the division's chain of command turned over that summer. I took command in June. The Devardi commander turned over later that month. Second Brigade uh, turned over in June or July. So that by the end of the summer, you had a whole new command group, and we went in to Bosnia less than six months later. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, Pat, how was civil affairs support organized during the crossing of the Sava River? And for those of you who are listening to this, Crossing the South River was a major tactical operation, but it was a task. It's not the mission. The mission was get into Bosnia. So this is a task that had to precede the rest of it. And General O'Neill, in this case, was acting as a crossing force commander, whereas I was the aid commander, the crossing area commander. So he superintended that whole operation. So normally in an operation like this, you're in the context of a larger military operation. This, this was crossing the South River, Greg points out, the task was to introduce force. There was no force on the other side of the river, save some aerial-delivered units that we we flew into Tuzla. Otherwise, we were, this was the soda straw that was going to bring force in. So there we were, banks of the river, winter, snowing, and the river goes up to a flood stage. The challenge here, which centers on civil affairs, is how do you understand the local environment. As we established a D-rear on the river, we created a combat information center. And actually, at the core of that turned out to be the CA. This is an issue of terrain. I can look at the physical terrain, fine. 
what does the human terrain look like? What does the political terrain look like? What's the economic terrain look like? That's what I don't have. And uh, while there are plenty of people around to help with uh, crossing the river, engineers and all sorts of other people, there is no one to help me see the terrain except for an S2, CA team, uh, some other smaller organizations that can, can help. So that's that's the sum total of it. This is all pretty well documented, by the way, in uh, several different references I have, initial impressions report, Operation Joint Endeavor, September 96 call, and several other reports that specifically talk to CA, one of which is called Mission CSIS website, and it uh, it's a description of CA operations in particular in Bosnia. So I commend that to you. The point you made about understanding the human terrain is, is worth highlighting because, you know, the Army experimented with human terrain teams in Afghanistan and Iraq, found some utility in it, but the system wasn't particularly well managed. So one of the things maybe the civil affairs community could look at in the future is how do we increase our capacity to assess human terrain? So the, the second question I wanted to pose today is, at what point were you able to establish a civil a military operations center? Where was it located and what area did it service? Well, a CMOC, which, which we wouldn't recognize today because they've grown in terms of involvement and complexity and organization, but then it was established in the D-Rear in a uh, steel plant, actually, north of the Saba River. Now, it was a tentative team. It was six people in it, but they were they were what I had, and they were very active, and they reinforced my view of the use of the USAR in, in helping these organizations. So as we crossed the river, who should we run into but the British SAS, surprise, and then we began to introduce force and security forward as we did that, and 1st Brigade began to occupy the post of Ina Carter. We spread out our CA resources to begin to understand the towns and infrastructure and the political environment and the economics, what was left of the country in, in that region. Follow-up question. Uh, it, the, the point you made about SAS is an important one because both you and I assumed that we would fall in on uh, Special Operations Forces, SF to be precise, who would be in the area that would provide some of the assessment of what was going on in the human terrain and the other and political terrain. Instead, we found the SAS. I thought those those folks were brilliant, and I was disappointed that we didn't get the SF forces on the ground until later. It's not a problem for CA, but if, going forward, one of the things we got to make sure is we deploy our special forces, civil affairs, and the rest of us all arrive in a way that makes sense. The thing that you mentioned uh, about the civil military operations centers, it was small, probably inadequately manned at that point. You know, we had no place to set up anything. You had to have, you know, you and I were in an unheated, uh, bombed out hotel to start with. Where do you, you know, how do you get into a building? How do you get in a, a command post or a CMOC established without finding access to space? Well, yeah, you, you, I mean, this is a recurring problem. Uh, the best you can do early on is to find a single structure and you have a chair in there, literally a chair in there, for each of the functions that you need to have directly at your door. They then link to temporary structure outside. So it's just a wheel and spoke kind of arrangement. We won't get these people involved in setting up structure. You want to have a separate organization that's out there setting up the new, better facility 
not these people because these people are on 12-hour shifts and they are running hard. Great point. And, and for those who are listening, in the early stages of an operation like this, in a place where the destruction is so complete, the only thing I can think of that looked like Bosnia when we first went in are pictures of World War II villages, a village destroyed in World War II and the fighting in Normandy later on in Germany. Literally, the first Joint Military Commission meeting the First Armed Division held was held in a restaurant that had no roof and therefore no heat, no light, no nothing. To transition uh, to the relationship with civil affairs and other means that we have in the U.S. Army, was there a point in your mind where civil affairs and what we now think of as information operations overlapped? And what, if any, help did you have with that? I, th I think this is a time where you can talk about PSYOPs, as we called it then, and public affairs support. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. You can't think of civil affairs in a stovepipe. You have to think about it in terms of the areas that it influences and what other areas those overlap. Information operations is obviously a, a, a capstone process that involves PSYOPs, CA, contracting of all places, your S2, and what are internal resources they have, UMIT, ELINT, all that kind of stuff. But you've got to build that whole picture. And I found that one of the wanting things in this operation is there was no technique or technology that built that mosaic for you that could give you a description of what you looked like and what information organizations were out there and what they were saying. And you were never quite prepared for that. PAO actually plays a role in that whole operation, obviously. I mean, they would call that their bailiwick, but it's not. It's a team effort. And so creating this team of organizations that are interested in information management, they contribute to information management, are critical early and create them early and often. That is a, that is a fantastic uh, observation here. And I think the, the thing that, from a brigade commander's perspective, that was most problematic is that 7th Army Training Center did a brilliant job of training us in the transition from combat operations to post-combat operations or transition to UN support operations. And we did that in each two-week task force rotation. We did have human intelligence and counter uh, intelligence training support. And we did have some supervision, supervised training support in negotiation techniques and the rest of it. We had no public affairs support. We had no civil affairs support. And the training we did in the division and core trainups, as you'll recall, was pretty thin in that as well. Would you not agree that it would be absolutely essential in training large formations, brigade and up at least, to include civil affairs, MISO or PSYOPs or whatever we're going to call it now, as well as the whole information operations spectrum? I think the CA community is going to have to step up here. Uh, here's the, the backdrop to this. There was no CA play in any of the workup operations we had. The first encounter of CA is they're in a Humvee, they're going across the river, and they're trying to get information for us. Anything they did anyway in USER was mail. All the USER reports, Fifth Corps reports, all reports do not mention CA, period. So that said, I think the CA is going to have to step up and create the dynamic that causes people like me to have to act. And I can't do that. They're going to have to do it, and they're going to have to be a part of the workup of all the operations that are involved in this dimension. So simply put, we need to train as we intend to operate. Exactly, and, and a lot harder than we do now.
the next thing I want to talk about is as a crossing force commander, you had to lead the CA effort in, in the beginning. You know, you had to lead with uh, the civilian communities, with the assessment, to a large extent with contracting, the kind of things we had to have, all of those. When do you, when do you believe in, in time and space did we make the transition from you running the show as a crossing force commander to me picking up part of the problem as a crossing area commander as I began to cross forces? Yeah, well, we were we were crossing in your AO, so you know we were we became visitors pretty quickly. There's not a date per se. This is an echelonment process, and we're echeloning to a, a coke factory in Lukovac. I think that's a great way to put it. And one of the things that I would remind those who are listening in an early entry operation, let me just say a couple things about the timeline. Uh, I flew uh, with six MVs and eleven people and a C-17 on the 16th of December and was down on the Sava River on the 19th or 20th. Pat O'Neill and others flowed in behind us. We built the uh, capacity on the far side of the river. Finally, we were able to cross the river on uh, the 30th of December. I spent my first night in Bosnia on New Year's Eve, and within a week or so, General O'Neill had moved south because now the crossing was, you know, we had the uh, MP Brigade in the area, 130th Brigade, the, the onus of crossing even though it still rested on General O'Neill's shoulders, had now passed to the supporting units. And we're doing the reception staging on, we're moving integration of, of forces as they came across. So from my perspective, Pat, it, the transition was easily done because we had a relationship. We understood you know, who was who and, and what had to be done and the difference in our roles. But at the same time, I think we understood how those roles converged. So the message to our civil affairs friends is work with the operators and attempt to uh, lubricate where possibly the interstices of connection and division. Because when we broke that out, I stood up a CMOC, and that was very late in January, uh, early days in February, to be precise, because it took that long to get uh, reserve civil affairs units into us, civilian uh, support for things like uh, acquisition and the rest of it. So this is a handoff, and you're right, it's not a, a daytime group. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. under what conditions you were able to shift the focus from crossing to sustaining operations for the long run. That, that actually occurred in February. There's a, there's a resilience you have to build into this single bridge. The old bridge was blown up, so there was no hope in ever repairing it. So this, this temporary salt float bridge designed for temporary operations was now becoming very permanent. As a matter of fact, we, we moved upriver to try to find some other crossing areas that we could install temporary bridging in, more permanent bridging in to, to do that. So I, I remained on the river, certainly in my heart, for a lot of time because th that is the crunch point. I mean, you have, to, you have to be able to maintain that link or you don't get any supplies or logistics into the theater. And we're building base camps, mobs all over the place, and th that is dependent on that river crossing, so it has to be sustained. So I, I stayed attuned to the river crossing area well into March to, to make sure it was resilient and, and had all the support it needed. 
Well, you lived you lived on the other on the north side of the river till February sometime, right? I did. I did. Yeah, that's what I remember. The other right. thing, uh, both of us involved were involved with, and it's not necessarily pertinent strictly to civil affairs, was managing the main supply route. You're right. We only had the bridge, which meant that MSR Arizona, the main supply route Arizona, we had to maintain that, make sure it was open, and that meant coordinating with. You know, the Serbs and Croats and Bosniaks who periodically wanted to put checkpoints on there, which obviously we weren't going to let them do. The next question I have for you is, in what way, if any, did this transition regular Army civil affairs that was there at the outset to reserve civil affairs, assuming the mission from the early entry that had been provided by the regular Army forces? And you mentioned where you located the CMOC, but I'd like you to talk about how that transition worked and how the division CMOC operated. Well, I found, first of all, as I mentioned previously, the USAR uh, CA units be extremely professional. They were actually much more attuned to the issues we had than the active component brethren. They weren't well-equipped. Uh, they lacked uh, vehicles. They lacked uh, GPS. They lacked a whole bunch of other stuff that we had to, we had to manufacture for them. So the USAR, as they came into theater, didn't particularly have a good transition plan you will remember, in the, as a result of this whole operation, we came up with the concept of the right seat ride. That was not a part of the lexicon before this. And we suddenly found out that as units began to transition and change out, we needed a very definitive architecture for how that was done. Ergo, the birth of the right seat ride. And we didn't call it that, but that's what, in essence, it was early on. So... I found the transition a little wanting, but it powered up pretty quick. Again, back to a point, Civil Affairs has built relationships with these town leaders, mayors and councilmen and all these other kinds of people. And now, uh, as we've seen in Iraq and Afghanistan and everyplace else, they've got to transition that. And that was this particular operation. We were in the primitive stages of understanding how to do that. It's not like you drive downtown and say, Mr. Mayor, I'm uh, Pat O'Neill, and I'm, I'm your new CA advisor. I think that's a great point. And I want to double down on the point you made about civil affairs and, and soldiers generally being more responsive to the, the our, our peculiar needs in the Posavina and in Northeast Bosnia. Whereas the regular Army guys, with no criticism intended, were focused on larger, broader issues, you know, Bosnia-wide. I was interested in Birchko. And right. then you were interested in a broader area than me, but still right. narrower than what they were accustomed to dealing with. I also appreciated the fact that in dealing with uh, police officers and uh, police organizations that were a very big problem for us, I would have a county sheriff from a large uh, county in the United States who happened to be a reserve major, and he would run my negotiations with the police uh, chiefs, local police chiefs, to to teach them that in Europe you don't beat uh, motorists who happen to be of a different ethnic group. Uh, the last question uh, I have is that this whole of government sounds good when you say it, but civil affairs is, to me, part of the way that you, you make that work. Can you address that, sir? Uh, I'm not so into, you know, the U.S. being able to carry our whole of government with us to uh, these regions. Uh, we're not all that good at it. I, I have to say that is a powerful insight because whole of government is a it's a buzzword without anything to it until uh, you find a way to make it work. And we found, I believe, that the division and even brigades and battalions 
were the ones that did such coordination as we come to call whole government. Well, why is that? Partly it's because we have the resources, the equipment. We're the ones that can put up a tent if it needs to be. We can put power generation in. There are a number of things we can do and bring to the table. But I think one of the key messages for, for our civil affairs folks that might be listening to this is whole government just doesn't happen. And it, it winds up being pretty difficult. I saw uh, U.S. ambassadors. I saw uh, Congress, congressional delegations, USAID. Uh, everybody came with questions. Uh, very few came with resources. And that requires considerable effort on the military's part. It's not, it's not a criticism. You know, AID isn't equipped to do early entry operations. None of these organizations are. So a lot of it, by default, winds up on our head. My closing thought for our friends in civil affairs, and if I, when I have the opportunity, I, I pass it on to my operator friends as combat operations are a team sport. And the team requires civil affairs. And that means we need to train together. Over to you, Pat. Uh, got a couple of minutes. Two quick points. One, Task Force Eagle Commander, Commanding General, made a really, really solid decision very early on in this process. He took an CO organization that was a GS organization, and he turned it into a DS organization. He reassembled it. And to their credit, the organization did this quickly. So he dispersed CA all the way to the battalion level. And that was a brilliant decision. The, the second thing I would say is the CA community needs to continue to refine how you present products to the many people who are consumers of your products. That is, give me the political terrain, give me the human terrain, give me the economic terrain, give me the infrastructure terrain. Give me a view of terrain that I can see and you can relate to me as the, where the crunch points really are. Well, thanks, Pat. I've enjoyed being a part of this, and I hope it's beneficial to the civil affairs units we've done it for. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Greg. The 1CA podcast comes to you from the Civil Affairs Association. Special thanks to retired Colonel Greg Fontenau and retired Brigadier General Pat O'Neill for coming on to the show. If you have a story to tell or want to guest host, contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. I will have a link to Greg and Pat's bios in the show notes. Additionally, I included the email address and links to our sponsors. This show is for you and others in the CA community, so please like and share. Thanks again. This is your host, Jack Gaines, signing off. Have a great week.